I'm Ari Ward. Welcome back to the Bishop's Office. Um, today I have a conversation with Dane Granger for you, um, speaking about his mission in Mozambique. But if anything, this is a conversion experience as much as a, a mission experience. So uh, without further ado, here's Dane. Hey Dane, well thanks for catching up with me this evening to uh, talk about your mission. How are you this evening? Yeah, pretty good, Bishop. Um, yeah, looking forward to having a chat. Great. Well, um, let's start off. Why don't you just quickly introduce um, to us where you served your mission and um, what years that was and anything else you'd like to tell us about, the, I guess, the location that you served. Um, I was called to serve in the South Africa Johannesburg mission initially, and then my state president, President Clements, got a separate letter which said I was actually called to the submission Mozambique, which was part of the Johannesburg mission. But you don't go to the Johannesburg mission and get transferred in. You actually permanently go to the Mozambique part of the mission because it's Portuguese speaking. I went there and um, after a year, we became our own mission. So we really had nothing to do with South Africa. We had our own basically mission president the whole time. And then we, we became our own mission. But yeah, Mozambique is in Southeast Africa. It borders on, you know, eight different countries. Like probably the easiest way for people to understand where it is, is people know where Madagascar is. It's Mozambique is the first country across the channel. Uh-huh. So if you swim from Madagascar to Africa, you hit Mozambique. And what years did you serve? 2003 to 2005. Okay, cool. So you've been home a few years now. Um, yeah. What can you tell me about, I guess, your experience growing up in the church? What was your attitude towards missionary service? And uh, how did you prepare to serve a mission? Or what were the events that led to you serving a mission? Um, I was very blessed. I mean, I was thinking about it and I, I probably couldn't have had a better situation to be in as far as preparing for a mission. My, my Both sets of my grandparents were converts to the church. And they had both served missions as senior couples. One of my earliest memories is my grandma and grandpa Mutton selling their speedboat and uh, and uh, holiday home on the river so that they could go on a mission. Wow. Um, yeah, so that was, I wasn't very happy about it at the time, but it taught a lesson. Mm. Um, my parents both served missions. All of my uncles served missions. Um, growing up in Morialta Ward, well, Fell Ward, which became Morialta Ward. You had like John Orth and and um, you know Sam Rice and and all of them coming home from their missions, and you're hearing their talks on their way out and then on the way back. And um, yeah, it was just a something that I was always really excited about. I was always, always wanting to go for sure. And so as you, I guess, hit your sort of mid to late teens, um, what were the experiences you had as you, as you chose to serve the, the Lord in this way? So basically I wasn't really into it. I wasn't really, well, I'd never questioned. It's one of those funny things when you're young, you don't think about the implications. I'd started rebelling completely against the church when I was, you know, 14 and a half to 15 and a half. But I hadn't ever, if someone said, are you going to serve a mission? I probably would have still said, yeah, for sure. Or, you know, mm-hmm. are you going to get married in the temple? Yeah, for sure. That was always part of the plan. But I started rebelling against the church. And then everything wasn't, everything was going wrong in my life at school. And 
um, my, my rebellious attitude to the world wasn't really working out. I'd be in detention every day at school and which wasn't much fun and, um, always getting into arguments with my parents and everything. So I just latched onto this thought that obviously all my seminary teachers and young men's leaders had, and my parents had drummed into my head, which was that, you know, read the book of Mormon to know whether it's true. So I thought, well, I, um, need to know whether this is true or not. So yeah, I, for me, the big life changing thing was, was when I decided, okay, I'm going to find out whether the book of Mormon was true. And in typical, the way that I go about things, I jumped in and was reading five chapters a day of the book of Mormon <laughs> and just flying through it. And, and I did, I did receive a very powerful answer in my heart from the spirit at a time when I explained this to someone recently, it wasn't, it, I've never had a problem mistaking um, emotion with spirit because mm. for me, when the spirit touches me at times when there's no reason for me to be feeling emotion at all, that was what it was like when the Lord told me the book of Mormon was true. I was not in a situation that I was expecting to feel, to receive an answer or to feel emotion or anything. And it just hit me in my heart and in my mind. And it just wrote on my heart that yes, this is, this is true. Um, and I'd already kind of, you know, when you're reading the book of Mormon every day, it kind of impresses on you that it's true anyway. But yeah, so for me, the main thing to prepare for my mission was I, I kept reading the book of Mormon with that much energy and vigor for the next three and a half years preparing for my mission and just really just, it, it made all the difference for me, the book of Mormon. You know, that's a pretty interesting thought for you to have as a, what sounds like a 14 and a half or so year old. You obviously recognize that things could be better in your life, but to actually latch on to that idea that you actually needed to read the Book of Mormon is pretty significant. Um, do, you, do you recall what was, you know, specifically going on in your life at that time or how you actually made that decision or was it just quite natural at the time to do it? I think I came to a point of realization that the dreams that I'd always held of serving a mission and marrying an awesome girl in the temple and being happy forever, like I saw all of my leaders doing. And I had so many good examples around me. I had like Casper Yao was my deacon's quorum advisor a bit earlier. I had Nathan Nickel, who's up in Queensland now. He was a fantastic young men's leader. I had, you know, Sister Orth and Sister Howes teaching me in seminary and I just had all these people around me and I, and their lives to me looked exactly like what I wanted. So I think mm. I, when I realized that I, I kind of, my prospects weren't looking very good, like who on earth would want to marry me? You know, I'm failing school. I'm not nice to be around. So I think it kind of became clear to me that I needed to start being successful. And so the first thing that I was going to do was find out whether the path to success was the church. And so, yeah, it came as a resounding knockout. Yes, this is the path. Dedicate your life to this and you'll get everything that you want. Mm. Are you able to share a little bit more detail, I guess, that experience that you came to know that the Book of Mormon was true? I think when I read it every day, it changed my nature. It changed who I was. So it kind of was obvious that it was the word of God and bringing me closer to Jesus Christ. But I still wanted that, you know, that answer in Moroni chapter 10, where it says that you'll receive an answer when you ask that, that the answer will be given to you. Um, I wanted that answer. 
And so I think the Lord allowed me to have that answer. And it was, I was, I'd already read the Book of Mormon one time through during this period. And I was reading it a second time through, still reading many chapters a day and really getting into it. I'm pretty sure that I had fasted and prayed about it a lot before, but this particular day I had fasted and I went to break my fast and I said my prayer, which is when you would expect to get the powerful feeling because that's when I'm expecting it, right? Mm. For all the cynics out there thinking, oh yeah, you just thought you were going to get it and that's why you got it. (laughs) So I finished my prayer and then I'm walking off to go eat dinner and I walked about you know, 15 meters around the corner and halfway towards working the dinner. I'm not even thinking about it anymore. It just hit me. It was just like bang in my heart and in my mind. It was exactly the answer that I basically wanted God to give me. I wanted God to prove to me that the Book of Mormon was true once and for all. I want the answer that Moroni describes. And that's, that's when I received it. And I've, you know, had many other witnesses since. And one thing that I've been blessed with and many other people who have the same experience is that I've never let go of the Book of Mormon. I haven't had any period ever since where I haven't read the Book of Mormon every day or I haven't, you know, immersed myself in the Book of Mormon. You know, some days I only read one chapter and I barely take it in, but I'm still taking the time to read it. So the testimony has never left me. It's always been really powerful and strong and just something that, you know, is an absolute pillar in my life that of all the things that I know in the world, I know that that book is absolutely the word of God and is a hundred percent true. And I absolutely love it. Um, what do you say to people who haven't had an experience like that? I've played, prayed about the book of Mormon a bunch of times, but I don't know that I can draw on one specific sort of really powerful, you know, witness of the Book of Mormon. Um, you know, what would you say to people like me and others who might hear your experience and think, well, hang on a minute, I, I, I haven't had an experience like that. Uh, the only thing I would say is that when I went to Mozambique on my mission and asked people to pray about the Book of Mormon, I was jealous of their responses. You know, they're like having visions of Jesus Christ appearing to them. <laughs> They'd go to bed at night, you know, and pray, oh, is the Book of Mormon true? They'd go to sleep and then they'd have a vision that they're standing in the top of a mountain and Jesus Christ appears to them and says, this is true, listen to the missionaries. And, you know, and I was listening to that thinking, fire out. I wish I, that was my answer. So my answer to that would be everyone's different. God deals with us in our own way. And far out, if you're that good that you don't need an answer, like, like an amazing answer, like, the one that I received or the ones that the people that I knew in Africa received, then maybe that's a compliment to you that you don't need that. God would give it to you if you needed it. Well, I think that's a good segue into your mission. Um, You know, that little insight into the types of sort of spiritual culture that exists in Mozambique. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about, you know, what's the people in the culture? Who were these, um, these people that you were teaching and, and what was, what was that experience like? Oh, it was an absolute privilege. Like, basically, you're talking about a country that there's no white people at all. You know, it's 99.9% African. They were ruled by the Portuguese for hundreds of years and subjugated by the Portuguese. And then when the Portuguese in 1965 had a big civil war, the Mozambicans said, this is our chance. And they kicked the Portuguese out of their country. They said to all the Portuguese people living there, you've got 24 hours to get out. And so all the Portuguese left. 
And the Mozambicans took over the country and they had absolutely no idea what they were doing. <laughs> and they fought civil wars for the next bunch of years. And Russia and America fought proxy wars through, you know, through the, through the Mozambican different sides that were fighting. And a million people were killed in this war. And so that war finished about 10 years before I got to Mozambique. And so the people were kind of sick of war and they just wanted to have peace and they just wanted to have chilled out lives. Um, and they didn't think much of white people, you know, we would be abused in the street. And what about the spiritual heritage of, of the people? Um, they were very, very much interested in spiritual things. They loved it. Everyone had some type of religion. There's a lot of Muslims in Mozambique, but there's more Christians. A lot of people, when they say they're Christian, means that they basically mix their African traditional beliefs with Christianity. But everyone, you know, almost everyone was interested in talking about religion. A lot of people weren't interested in changing. They were more good missionaries for their own beliefs and they wanted to convert you to what they did. But yeah, you know, can't complain compared to most people and their missions who are struggling to get anyone to listen. The Mozambicans, they talk all day about religion. So that must have been a bit of a, a challenge in some respects. Um, easy to get in the door, but hard to, I guess, um, find the elect. Um, how did you go about uh, discerning between the two? Um, we had to be very, um, you know, you could, you could teach people all day, every day and achieve nothing. Our mission president at one stage told us that we needed to commit people to being baptized in the first lesson, you know, or at least ask the question. So what we would say to people is, if this is the only true church on the earth, and if Jesus Christ is in charge of it and all this, would you be baptized into the, will you be baptized into the church? And if they said no, then we would say, well, it's been really nice meeting with you, but we're actually here to teach people that would change. Mm. if they learned the truth. And so we would move on pretty politely, but we would move on to people that actually wanted to change. So if you can think back to the beginning of your mission then, um, how did you find adjusting to missionary life? Tell me about your trainer. What were those first few months in the field like? I, when you, obviously, when you get sent on a mission to Mozambique, you expect it to be crazy and everyone tells you you're going to die and all this stuff. So you're basically really excited for it to be crazy. I mean, I found it harder to adjust to the MTC, not that difficult, but I remember it being Friday and Saturday night in the MTC and thinking, oh, normally I'm, you know, hanging out with my friends mm -hmm. tonight and now I'm going to bed at 10.30 type thing. But um, in Mozambique, it was, it, was, it was pretty good. It was so interesting. It felt like you were in a National Geographic documentary um, so you just walk around staring at everything. Um, what are some of the sort of key experiences that stand out in your mind? Um, I think the most spiritual experience that I, that I had was teaching one family and nothing amazing happened at the time. We were just teaching this husband and wife and their three kids in their little corrugated iron shack in the slums of Maputo the capital city mm. they had in their in their house which was the size of a room they basically just had a double bed most people don't have beds they sleep on the floor but these people had a bed but they had a bed which took up the entire house except for a little aisleway 
at the end of the bed where they would where they would store things and so we would sit at the end of this bed with the family sitting on the bed and further down the aisle way and teach them the gospel and it was it was i've taught lots of lessons where you just feel i personally feel nothing but this was one where you're basically walking on cloud nine the whole time and the spirit is just enveloping the room and we taught this husband and wife, Kimaranj, Vittoria, Telma, Vino, and Herculano were the, the people. And every time we taught them, it was just like you'd walk out of the lesson, you felt like you were walking on clouds. And then they, when I left the area, I found out that they stopped um, learning about the church. But then about a year after I got home from my mission, it would have been more six months after I got home from my mission, one of the missionaries that I trained sent me an email of a picture of them being baptized and then being married. And, you know, later on they got sealed in the temple. So it all, it all ended up working out, but that, that was really spiritual that for some reason, this family just, the spirit was just there. The Lord had said, poured out the spirit and said, these people need to fill the spirit. I don't know. It was just really special. Yeah, really interesting. Hey, um, I, I, you know, most people, when they hear that return missionary talk from the pulpit, are expecting that family to get baptized, right? While you're teaching them. Um, and I think yeah. it's interesting that at least you, presumably them as well, were having this really powerful um, spiritual experience and in, in teaching and learning about the gospel. But um, for whatever reason, the, the timing wasn't, wasn't quite right. But ultimately, um, those were the gifts that resulted in them in joining the church. Definitely. Yeah, it was, it was really special. What about hard times? What was challenging for you in your mission? I remember one of the more difficult things, but I was excited about it was I was about, you know, five transfers in or whatever. And I was set to be a junior companion again. That night, the missionary that was serving in the same, like in the next door area, who was a senior companion, he came down with malaria, had to be flown out of the, out of the, city down to the capital city to get a blessing which amazingly he was actually you have malaria for life once you've got it you've got it mm. anyway the mission president gave him a priesthood blessing which said he would 100 percent recover which he did <laughs> anyway that was that was an interesting side story there but yeah i i was then sent to take over the area and and in this area it was the poorest area of any of the places that you could go in mozambique and i was serving with a he would have been a 16 17 year old branch missionary mozambican from the local from a local area nearby mm -hmm. and so it was really challenging but it was awesome at the same time that i was just basically in this area all day every day um with no white people anywhere that when i walked past the reflection of myself i would be startled by how pasty i looked because i'd been looking at africans all day mm -hmm. um but that was a really challenging area but it was such a it was such a blessing and an experience and it helped me really get confident with the language and with doing missionary work because it was basically you by yourself you're the only you know you were the branch missionary they're not going to take much responsibility you basically just the work lives or dies by what you decide that you're going to do so it was just you and this young man that you didn't have a missionary companion during that time i didn't but we were living in a house with four other missionaries. Uh -huh. um, so at nighttime, I'd be with other missionaries. But during the day, I was with this uh, 
just with a branch missionary, yeah. How are you different because of your missionary service, do you think? Um, you talked about, you know, being really enthusiastic and having a strong testimony going into the mission field, which is, you know, the best way to be. But how did that two years of service change you? Um, I think it just drummed in the the good habits that that you already start developing in young men's and growing up in the church. It just drummed them into the point where you just get these ideas me personally, I just had these ideas of things that I would do very strictly when I got home. So it was things that I wouldn't do and things that I would do. And I wrote them all down so that when I went home, I kept those things. For example, one of the strict things that I did was to attend the temple every single week. So how am, how am I different because of missionary service? I think it's the habits and the the feeling that you are a representative of Jesus Christ, that is a disciple of Jesus Christ and just, you know, living, living your life that way, try and look like a missionary all the time, no matter what situation you're in, no matter who's there. Um, you know, do you, would you be able to go on a mission tomorrow if the Lord needed you to? And, and how did you see the gospel of Jesus Christ change lives on your mission then? Well, Mozambique was a, one thing I didn't explain was that the, the church had only been in Mozambique for three or four years. And so it was an absolute frontier of the church. You know, there were 2000 members of the church when I got to Mozambique. And so everyone that you met had only been a member of the church for, you know, six months, a year. The, the really experienced members had been members for two years. Mm -hmm. So seeing them develop in the gospel and seeing some of the missionaries come through, um, Mozambique and missionaries come through and watch them grow and develop. I think that was probably the biggest thing was watching those missionaries develop. And, you know, they've, they've gone home now and Mozambique only had, you know, branches and districts when I was there. Now they've got, you know, like four stakes and the missionaries that I served with, they're like the stake presidents and the bishops and they're, they're all serving in all these callings, but you just knew because the Lord had been preparing certain individuals to lead the church in Mozambique, that they were the, elect ones that you know were foreordained to do what they're going to do so you got a sense of of certain individuals that were just really really special and you know i'm sure i'll be watching general conference one day and they'll they'll be on there <laughs> giving a talk some of these people so um and so serving in a as you describe it a frontier of the church Talk to me a little bit about what the relationship was between members and missionaries and what role those missionaries played in the, in the branches and districts in which you served. The mission president was really strong on building the local leadership and he was very hesitant to have missionaries serving as branch presidents and things like that. And if they were, he would try and make it that they were Mozambicans, mm -hmm. Mozambican missionaries, not Americans or whatever, just so you can be like, hey, I was a branch president and all this stuff. He was, he was not for that. He, as an example of how, how strong he was on this, he wouldn't let us baptize anyone ourselves. So one year we had 810 baptisms with, I think we had 40 missionaries and not one missionary baptized anyone. It mm -hmm. was all, you know, because you've got all these new members of the church that have never baptized anyone before. So it was all about giving them um, the experience. But the missionaries, as, as a frontier mission, you were sitting in branch presidency meetings, district presidency meetings, giving counsel to, to them about what to do and what to do in this situation. 
doing whatever needed to be done because because it was part of the mission, it would cross over so much that the mission president would ask you to do something and it would be something to do with the, you know, the local units because, you know, the mission is in charge of the districts and all of that. So, yeah, you, you got to, you know, one area that I went to, we, we focused most of our attention on, on helping the branch president be a better branch president. We just spent time with him every day. And, um, yeah, that was a, our big focus. Oh, that's great. Um, and wonderful experiences for you to, um, to bring home with you. All right. So tell me about um, life after the mission. How have you, what blessings have you seen come from your missionary service? It just gave me confidence um, that I could do what I needed to do to be a husband and father and to build and develop a career. So I think confidence, confidence was, was one of the main things for me. Um, and what, what advice would you have for someone who's um, preparing to serve uh, a mission? Um, it's it's kind of like the Book of Mormon thing we spoke about earlier. I can only speak for myself. And I, I try to share, I've tried to share my experiences so many times. I remember being young men's president, trying to share experiences. And you can just tell that everyone's looking at you thinking, this this doesn't apply to me. Like that worked for you, but it's not going to work for me. So I, I don't know what's going to work for other people. But all I can say is that um, when I was growing up, my parents, the church leaders, everyone said, if you do X, Y, and Z, then your life will be fantastic. And it has, it, it's all happened exactly as they said it was going to happen. So my advice would be trust, trust that God will bless you um, for serving a mission. And my advice would also be, because I, I wasn't one that, you know, went on my mission and, and found myself on my mission. The most important thing that I ever did was pray about the Book of Mormon when I was 15 years old. Mm. Everything on my mission was basically just an extension of that um, and actually less important than the decision that I made when I was 15 years old. I didn't, you know, going on a mission was just a given from that point. So if you're in two minds about serving a mission, I think you need to do, a, you know, a fair bit of, um, studying and, and pondering and, and spending time with God to work out because I don't know what it would be like to go on a mission half-hearted because when I went on a mission I was ready to breathe fire do whatever we needed to do because that's how it you know basically growing up I was like my peers were you know Dallin Howes, Adam Hand, Matt Sonnen and you know Nathan Rice and Andy Orth were a couple of years older than me and Sam Clements and I'm watching Luke Howes come home from his mission and give talks I'm getting taught by President Phil Howes and as my young men's leader and Rick Benelic. So it's, it'd be difficult for me to relate to someone that is in two minds about serving a mission because I was never, never in that category. So, Well, good examples that you, um, you, you grew up with and, uh, and many of those people we all know very, very well. So thanks for taking the time to, to share with us your experience serving in Mozambique. It's been great hearing about um, your, your testimony and, and the things that you, you did and learned over there. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Bishop. Yeah, look, I'm a, I'm a strange character, but it's who I am and that's, that's, that's my experience. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dane. Isn't it wonderful how powerful the Book of Mormon can be in our lives? Um, if this story or another story that you've heard on this podcast has really resonated with you, please share it with someone in the ward or even without the ward who might benefit from it. 
speak to you soon.